All right, so you're going to have to listen fast because I'm going to do a very quick sort of rapid-fire run-through of some of the things we've been talking about in our study uh, that we focused on the foundational wisdom for home and family uh, as we've been doing this subject-based survey of Proverbs. And the subject that we found ourselves in uh, more recently is the subject of home and family. And so I want to just kind of run through uh, some of the main points or ideas that we've put out there that we find or that, that we see emerging out of Proverbs, and then I want to get the Q&A time started. So just a, a reminder to those of you who, who did receive the email, and if you didn't, it's because I didn't find your name in the, in the directory or some such like that. I did the best I could, but we're going to have a Q&A today with uh, some very distinguished uh, Q&A panelists that I'll be introducing in just a moment on parenting, home, family, that kind of thing. So I want to make sure I leave plenty of room for that, plenty of time for that. Uh, first thing that we looked at, we, ta- we looked at the big picture, and we saw that Proverbs really holds up the creation ideal for marriage and family. It's not some you know, overtly or excessively or abusively patriarchal, male-dominated kind of thing that oftentimes unbelievers or secularists might claim about the Bible as it speaks to marriage and family. It definitely holds up for us this creation ideal. And to kind of put a little more um, focus on that, it's, it's that marriage is commended as the domain for joy-producing intimacy, fellowship, and partnership, and that marriage is held up as a foundational union between one man, one woman, for the purpose of producing and preparing future generations to uphold the law of God so that civil society is protected and preserved. You guys got that memorized now? It's a big sentence. Maybe a run-on, I'm not sure. So that's what I mean by the creation ideal. In other words, the more a person, family, society reflects the character of God, the better off that person, family, society will be. So that applies to believing and unbelieving alike, right? I mean, we know that that God is transcendent. He is a creator of all things and all people. His law is transcendently applicable. Um, And so to the extent that anyone is seeking to in any way, for whatever reason and by any means, to reflect the law of God in his world, the better off society will be, the better off everything will be, because it reflects the perfect person, character, nature, and law of God. So, and the family and the home and marriage is the environment that really seeks to uphold that and to create and cultivate that kind of environment, particularly for children. Now, then we moved our attention to, uh, from, from, just the general big picture idea to specifically the relationship of husband and wife as, it, as we see it in Proverbs. And what we see in Proverbs, for example, as it relates to husband and wife, is that the husband, uh, husband and wife are both share in the training of children and are assumed to speak with one voice in that process. You see this in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. You see it in Proverbs chapter 6, verses 20 to 22. Okay? Again, just overview, quickly. The next thing we see in this relationship of husband and wife is that a good wife is a gift from the Lord, and she has the capacity, and I put in parentheses power. I mean, it's really a powerful presence that a good wife is in in the life of home, marriage, and family to be a profound blessing and a source of stability for her husband and family. You see this in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15. Uh, Sorry, I'm I'm reading the wrong one. I got ahead. You guys are looking at it and going, that's not what that says. Husbands are not merely called to be dutifully loyal to their wives, but are exhorted to passionately cherish them. You see this in Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 19. You see this language of cherishing your wife, loving her passionately. In other words, one of the greatest safeguards in a marriage, in protecting the fidelity of that marriage, is the willful 
consistent, determined, cherishing, passionately cherishing of your wife. Delighting in the, in the wife of your youth is, is the idea there. So that's, that's another point. And the other one I got ahead of myself on. Sorry about that. A good wife is a gift from the Lord, as I said. She has significant influence and power to be a blessing and a source of stability for her husband and family. Those are the verses there. Proverbs 5, 8 to 12. Proverbs 5, 19, second half through verse 20. Proverbs 27, excuse me, 23, 27 through 28. Proverbs 6, 23 through 35. And Proverbs 2, 16 to 19. And I'm happy to provide these references uh, later on uh, for anyone that would want them, okay? Then we see that marital infidelity, this kind of sets us, gives us the contrast or sort of the, the dark angle in Proverbs that you see over and over again to say that this is an important, significant relationship because anything that would breach the integrity of that relationship is characterized in the vilest of terms with sweeping and grim consequences, Marital infidelity is portrayed in this way in Proverbs. Proverbs 5, 8 to 12. Proverbs 5, 19, B through 20. Proverbs 23 through 27 and on. So, again, another, another example of how Proverbs addresses this relationship of husband and wife. Then we moved on to, uh, last week, the relationship of parent and children. Of parenting. This crucial relationship, this crucial responsibility. I mean, if we talk about the big picture, we refer back to that as one of those um, responsibilities as, as teaching children, teaching future generations about who God is, about his law, about his world, about purpose in that, in that world. Then it stands to reason that parenting as a role and a function and as a responsibility and as a relationship in the home and the family is substantial. It's significant. Can't be overstated. And so, I felt like I didn't do a very good job last week, quite honestly, in being as clear as I would have liked to have been. I felt like that my outline did not translate well in the way I was thinking about the whole subject and in the preparation period. So if I confused you or if I wasn't as clear as I should have been, please forgive me. But I want to kind of put a bow, a nicer bow on that, on that subject for a moment, and then we'll, then we'll go to our Q&A time. And if I could just say this in the, the straight, most straightforward of terms possible. Biblical parenting is simple. It's incredibly simple. Very challenging, but incredibly simple. Now, in saying that, it almost is like you thinking, wait, come on. Seriously, you got to be kidding me. And the fact of the matter is, is that the modern culture that we live in, and really probably for time immemorial, um, it, you would think that all the instruction, all the, the replete books and articles, the preponderance of seminars and expert advice that's out there on marriage and family, um, you would think that it's incredibly complicated and challenging if you just kind of breathed in the air that, that we live in in our culture. For example, and this is just a, a quick search on the internet. From AnxiousToddlers.com, I'm sure it's an authoritarian site, authoritative site, I know nothing about it, okay, but just listen. From a site called AnxiousToddlers.com, there's an article that says, three ways to be a good parent and still get things done. Three ways, that's it. Pretty simple. But, I found a book title on Amazon entitled, How Good Parents Raise Great Kids, The Six Essential Habits of Highly Successful Parents. We'll go from three to six now doesn't end there. From msn.com, there's an article entitled, Science Says Parents of Successful Kids Have These Nine Things in Common. 
from WebMD. Now we're getting into the medical expert community. From WebMD.com, it says, how to be a good parent, 10 tips. From a magazine called Today's Parent, 10 little things good parents do. So maybe that's a little more palatable than the 10 tips you have at WebMD because these are little things. Maybe that's easier to consume. I don't know. From another website, again, I'm sure it's just phenomenal. Um, this is not an endorsement, but it's called momjunction.com. Maybe it's a blog. I'm not sure. I just The title is what I was after. 29 best parenting tips to become a good parent. Now we're bounced up to 29. And finally, from Parents Magazine, which obviously with a title like Parents Magazine, it's got to be the authority on the subject, right, in terms of the periodical community, 50 easy ways to be a fantastic parent. The, pod, the bottom line is, is that if you start looking at all these different resources and articles, what you'll find is very formulaic and replete examples of all these little tricks and tips and things that we need to do and try and ways that we speak and communicate and talk and discipline strategies. It's on and on and on and on and on it goes. And so it can get confusing and it can make parenting look very, very complicated, but it's not. Biblical parenting is very simple. And in fact, we looked at two passages in the New Testament last time to kind of set a context for our look into Proverbs. The fact of the matter is, is that the, the, the scriptures themselves, the Bible itself does not have a tremendous amount of scripture that speaks explicitly to parenting. You know, parents, do this if you want your children to not embarrass you, you know, or whatever. It doesn't have that kind of language or teaching in it in extensive format. There are a few key ones, you know, Deuteronomy 6, there's, there's instruction obviously in Proverbs we looked at and other places, and there's certainly tons of implied or inferred, you know, passages you can look to. But in terms of explicit instruction, there's not a lot. And in fact, in the New Testament, there's only two. In all the New Testament, there's only two passages that explicitly speak to parenting. And that's Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3. And Colossians chapter 3 is basically a shorter summation of Ephesians 6. It's not really new information. It's kind of the same thing. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, it kind of gives us what I would say, it, it, it sort of, it sort of sum, summarizes this idea of the simplicity of parenting from a biblical perspective. Let me just read it to, to you one more time to, to get it in our minds. Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So very explicit parenting instruction there. Very explicit. But there's not a lot of it anywhere else in the Scripture. But it provides for us what I think are three essential priorities in biblical parenting that you see in Proverbs as well. The first one is this, parents that are committed to individual sanctification. When you look at Proverbs, for example, what you see over and over again is, for example, the first nine chapters is a father's instruction to his son or his sons. And so the assumption is, is that the, the parent or the father has some integrity in what they're teaching. There's some integrity in, in truth and and validation of their own character behind what they're teaching. And throughout all of Proverbs, there is instruction, biblical instruction, godly instruction for how to live under God in a way that honors Him. The focus is on living your life in a way that honors the Lord. 
living out your sanctification, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who is work in you, working in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So, first and foremost, in the home and the family, Scripture would over and over again, and overwhel- by overwhelming force and volume, say that parenting and home and family is not about 26 this, 3 that, 50 this, 4 that. It starts primarily with us being committed to personal, individual sanctification, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, seeking to repent and be obedient and be faithful and to love God more faithfully and more dearly. You look at that in the context of marriage and what oftentimes happens in marital conflict. We get focused on the other person and their lack of sanctification, right? Every time we enter into conflict, we find ourselves oftentimes easily focused on someone else other than ourselves. And scripture would call us back to say, focus on your godliness, your holiness, your sanctification. Second principle that you find in scripture is that parents that are persistent in biblical instruction is a priority. Persistent. I use the term persistent because when you look at uh, Proverbs, for example, especially the first nine chapters, you see the same teaching kind of recurring over and over and over again. Has any parent in here ever had to repeat themselves to their children on the same thing? There, there is a, there is a, a, a there has to be a commitment on the part of parents to just persistently provide clear, faithful, repeated biblical instruction. And by the way, it's, it can be exhausting. And, and, and our, the way that we oftentimes work, we want to figure out how do we fix this kid? How do we make this problem kind of stop? And so we, get, we start trying to look for other tricks, right? We start trying to look for other tactics or other ways to handle this. And the fact of the matter is, is that Scripture would call us to the long game, to this game of persistence in our biblical instruction. And then finally, parents need to be consistent in biblical discipline consistent in biblical discipline. Again, with the assumption that all of this is taking place in a home in which parents are committed to individual sanctification and that they're being persistent in their biblical instruction. It's not an isolated function in the home. There's not some special way to discipline your child to get some kind of unique outcome that we want, right? It's a a total package kind of deal. And we talked about this last week about how the more that we can focus on the environment that we're cultivating in our home, not on individual tactics over short periods of time to try to yield up some kind of outcome with our kids, but what kind of environment are we cultivating in our home so that the oxygen that they're breathing is biblical truth, the gospel. They need a savior like you need a savior. I'm a repentant parent. I'm showing you repentance all the time when I fail so that you can know that you need a Savior and you need to repent. That kind of environment is just the air that they breathe so that whatever instruction you're bringing, whatever discipline you're having to bring to bear, it's in that context. It's against that backdrop. So it's not complicated. It's really straightforward and simple. Now here's where it gets tricky, and that's in the application of things. There are things that we can get genuinely perplexed about, We have our own flesh that we're wrestling with, and we feel like we're failing in certain areas. We feel like we're not living up to the standard that we need to live up to. There's there's concerns about our children's responses to different things. I mean, it it can get complicated from a a human perspective. I'm I'm not questioning that. And so in the application of biblical truth, in the application of these priorities, it gets tricky and it gets dicey. 
And that's where the church comes along. That's where godly counsel can be brought to bear. And so that's why I wanted to have a time of q and I hope you're going to have some questions. I'm going to try to prime the pump if we need to. But we have, uh, we have a lot of people in our church, a lot of wise people, a lot of godly people um, who, who provide great counsel, have a lot of breadth of experience, a lot of biblical knowledge. And so we need to tap into that, and we need to, 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 um, to lean on those resources as much as we can. So today I've got these special, these are very powerful uh, panelist chairs, stools. They have wheels on them, so you're going to have to be, you know, agile. Um, I've asked um, Shane, our pastor, to come up. Shane, um, for those of you that don't know, Shane is a husband to Tara. Uh, he has four kids. They range in age and in gender, male, female, uh, elementary. Your youngest is still in elementary, right? Or is she middle school yet? Oh, okay. Well, okay. Yes, that's right. Uh, so, um, but I thought he'd be a great, obviously he can provide uh, any, any um, exegetical questions you might have about some passages or just his, his breadth of experience in his own home and family. Um, second, Alicia Goff, uh, my wife, and um, Proverbs 31 woman, literally, like no joke, just going to say it right there. Um, Mr. Dave Hill, Dave Hill is a um, retired guy but not really retired. He's uh, retired from business, the business community. He invested a lot of his life. After that stint in ministry, mentoring men, still does probably a fair amount of that, maybe a lot of that. Um, married, has three grown children and eight grandchildren, a breadth of experience. And by the way, Alicia knows both of their wives, so if they speak to marriage and they're not being honest, she'll know, and so she'll keep them accountable. Now, the first question that everybody is wondering is for Alicia. This is not her thing. She does not like to be in, in front of everybody, but she has a lot to say that's, that's wise. But the first question that everybody I know is wondering is, what compelled you to marry so far beneath yourself? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We don't want to know the answer to that. So um, does anybody have, immediately have a question before I maybe prime the pump if, if we don't? Yeah, good. Just wanted yeah, to skin Laurel. Proverbs 1, 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Proverbs 4, 1, Hear, O son, your father's, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. What if your father doesn't love the Lord? How do you listen to that? Or how do you, you know, what, how, do we, how are we supposed to think about that? I'm going to repeat the question just so that the, the recording picks it up. But generally the question is, um, if you're instructed in Proverbs to listen to your father's teaching, obey your father's teaching, um, what, how does, a, how does a, a child or a young person, a young adult, even a young, a young child, I mean an adult child, respond to that injunction to an unbelieving parent or father in specific in this particular case? Well, I think uh, you, you have to understand context of what Proverbs is saying, he's getting wisdom, and he begins telling us that fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, he even says there um, in verse 10, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. So, I mean, it should go without saying, just from the context of what he's saying here, that you'd never want to follow something that is sinful, or sinful advice, and to the extent that you have an unbelieving dad, 
who's going to give you from time to time ungodly and sometimes sinful counsel, you wouldn't want to do that. I mean, this in the in the writing of Proverbs, I mean, he he would probably not even assume that because of his role as a believer, that you would listen to him as if he's an infallible source. But I think he's saying that you know his his teaching is consistent with godly wisdom, or maybe to the extent that it's consistent with godly wisdom. So I have this, I mean, I have an unbelieving dad, and through the years, you know, we've talked about um, all kinds of things, and I mean, I listen because he's got experience, he's learned certain things, but, you know, he, he thinks uh, he thinks he's an expert on marriage because he's been married multiple times. <laughs> you know, he, he actually said that to me. Well, you know, I've done this a couple times, so, you know, then he proceeds to give whatever kind of... So, you know, you just um, sometimes smile and um, and uh, nod respectfully. Sometimes, you know, I have to really challenge him with the gospel in those moments. But I think the assumption in Proverbs is that to the extent that I'm teaching you the fear of the Lord, that's where you should listen. So, you guys want to add anything? Well said. Okay. Anyone else? say real, real quick that if, if you don't have a believing father you know that to be purposeful about seeking out godly men like Richard said in our church there are so many resources um, that are older and wiser and have traveled that road longer and so to be very purposeful to seek out godly counsel okay. if you don't have that within your own family I was just going to say, just to endorse that, I mean, that's a big part of my early Christian walk was finding men that, uh, you know, could provide sort of a role model, especially as what a, a husband and father look like, because I didn't have any example of that really at home. And just pray for them. <clears throat> pray for their salvation. Pray that God would soften their heart. And just that you would be an example that over time that they would see the transformation in your own life and be inquisitive. Um, I think it's just so key. Modeling is just so key of everything we're talking about. Hmm. Okay. Anybody else have a question? I was just getting ready to double check myself, but I believe in Ephesians 6 it mentions both obedience and honor, correct? How would you define the difference uh, between those two words that would be used in Ephesians? <coughs> terms of how the children are supposed to respond to their parents? Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, I, I don't know there's so much a difference as much as, a, as much as an internal and an external expression of the same thing. Because, as you probably know, you can have external obedience with disrespectful attitudes. Um, and then you can have also a you can have a, well, you can't really have disobedience with respectful attitudes on the inside. I guess you'd say it begins on the inside. But a lot of, I think, uh, especially as you get older, a lot of parenting ends up being trying to discern what those attitudes are. I don't even know if I would say older. All along the way, trying to recognize those attitudes. And the parent that doesn't recognize the... Uh, the, the attitudes of disrespect and rebellion and settles for mere external obedience is setting themselves a pig trap down the road. 
because uh, you can you can beat in some ways your kids into submission, uh, but unless you're winning their hearts, you know, as soon as they're out from under that authority of yours, they're gonna they're gonna fly, you know, every which way except for down the pathway of God. I would just say too, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about this a little bit from a reverse angle. You know, Shane said that you really wouldn't expect to have disobedience flowing out of a heart of respect, of genuine honor. But I do think that um, at certain, you know, stages of a child's growth and maturity and and development, um, they might not understand what it means to honor. Their, their, Their actions, they might not be able to necessarily connect it to in other words, they would say, I do respect you. I do w- want to honor you. And that might be a sincere disposition in their minds. And so they're, they're, they're at certain stages, they're trying to work out you know, what that might look like. And they might be you know, failing in their flesh and, and being rebellious outwardly. But I think that part of the discernment of all that is to, you, you come at both angles, internal and external, but... Um, but also giving some discerning room for children having to kind of grow and develop and learn and understand how the disposition of their heart connects with their actions in practical ways and, and all that. So it's, it kind of works both ways a little bit, depending upon how, how old they are. Um, when they get past a certain age, obviously, you know, it, they should know. They should understand the concept of honor and respect and, and a, what, the, what it means to have something in your heart work itself out. Um, I think we've got to be wise about our ins- the instruction side of that to not focus too heavily on just internal things that they don't really fully understand how it connects to the external. And they might even begin to feel accused or, or, um, or feel like that they're a constant disappointment because you're constantly going after something that they don't... They do, I do love, I do honor you, I do respect you, I do. You know, and, and they feel like that they're being kind of you know, continually beaten down in that in that one area. So it's a it's a bit of a I think a discernment thing, especially as they're younger. Um, the way I would say it. I don't know if that's clear or not, but you know, we we always use a chart when we're doing premarriage counseling to talk about structure and influence. And when you have obviously a toddler, you're talking about maximum structure. I mean, you're you're putting a spoon with the food in their mouth, and you're doing everything for them, making almost every choice for them. And uh, influence is relatively small. I mean, you can't even really dialogue or reason with a, a toddler. But as time goes by, that influence ought to be the thing that's steadily growing, and the structure ought to be the thing you're steadily decreasing. And so many parents miss that. They, they want to keep the structure really tight, really long, for a long time. And I think it, it uh, frustrates your children and uh, stunts in, in many ways their growth. So that as they get older, you know, that once they turn 13, 14, 15, you really ought to be uh, leaning more on the influence that you have with them, not so much on the structure. In other words, it's not so much now about obedience and disobedience as much as it is just influencing them towards uh, godliness. And that's lifelong. I mean, I always find it interesting. Jesus taught that. Can you think of the one time Jesus used that commandment to teach something? Does anyone know? It was in Matthew chapter 15 when he said, you know, you 
distort the word of God. He's talking to the Pharisees. You distort the word of God because you take this principle of honoring father and mother in this issue of Corbin, which was money dedicated to God, supposedly. And he says you distort it and you dishonor your, your parents. So I always um, remind people that's a lifelong principle because when Jesus was teaching it, he was teaching it to adults about their parents. It wasn't just it wasn't just a 18 and under uh, age group. So this ought to be something that we're developing in our children that will go with them for a lifetime. That they have a lifelong desire to honor their parents. It is so much more than just those, you know adolescent or younger years where you're just structuring your life. Uh, you need to be teaching them to have a, a level of respect and honor for the position the Lord's having has you in. And and I would say uh, you know, the life you live before. And that ought to carry more much more weight than anything structured. Let's t- let's talk about this for a second. I I wanna ask Alicia and then Dave to kind of weigh in on this. I think this is a I think a really um, really key thing here. This issue of, of the movement from structure to influence, you could say even control, you know, control, trying to control behavior and that kind of thing to, to influencing um, thinking and, and belief and behavior. So Alicia, our daughter, is now a sophomore in college, and I would say that we're heavy into the influence side of this now, way, way off into it now. And um, so Alicia, I would just ask you to kind of comment in general on how you have seen that principle sort of play out over the last few years with our daughter and, and, and maybe talk about some of the, the challenges and even some of the fruit with that. And then maybe, Dave, if you could speak to it even with a longer view, because now you're, you're into not just the influence you have on your kids as they left the house, but now they're, they got their own families and all that, so... Well, I think what Shane was talking about, you know, that that sphere of influence growing as they get older and kind of reducing that control about their every move. Um, I think we've seen that play out with our daughter Emily. And, um, you know, if you have that, founda- that foundation of a, a biblical relationship and there's that um, trust and that deep friendship that comes as they get older, um, you find that they, instead of shunning your control and your influence, they, I can speak for Emily, she, she seeks it out now. And, um, and it's a gift that we're tremendously grateful for because it's a gift from the Lord. But she, uh, now that she's older and outside the home, um, I think because of that, we, we tried to follow that model you want, you want them talking to you because when they go off and they're in the world, it's, it's challenging. And there's, you know, she has, she's in a great place, but she still needs counsel. And so she, um, sometimes she receives our counsel well, you know. We had a situation even this weekend where I'd sent her an article earlier in the week and um, just trying to kind of give, give that influence in different ways and, Hey, did you get a chance to read that article? She said, "No, not yet. I'll read it right now." And and so I think as parents to pray for the wisdom to know 
Sometimes it's a phone call, sometimes it's a text, sometimes it's sending them something that they you hope that they read and are open to. But, um, and I think of when she was in high school, having her first job um, out in the real world, and being under our roof, she was able to come home and navigate those challenges, you know, under our umbrella to be able to help her kind of grow through those. So... And I'll just say that I'm I'm much more I, I'm I I am much more oriented toward you know this is just what you're supposed to do just control yeah just I mean come on you know, what are you thinking um, so I'm I'm great for her she loves it um, but no um, the fact that the fact that Alicia has developed that that influence I mean I can't tell you um, there there's there's a whole world of communication that's going on that I, I, I have to get debriefed on. I, I don't I know nothing about it. But it's because the, the, that shift from just persistent instruction and discipline and trying to control their comings and goings and all that to gradually moving toward just, Lord, please use everything we've tried to do and all of our imperfections, but in the perf- perfection of your word and your truth as it's hopefully been planted in them to bear fruit. And God help us to continue to try to be influential there. I mean, she's done a phenomenal job of maintaining that influence. And when she says that she seeks it out, she craves, she craves her input. It's a gift. It's an unbelievable gift. Um, but it's, it's also, I think, a testimony to the Lord's faithfulness to honor his word and how he instructs us to, to do this. Um, and there's been, no, there's been no, I mean, I can't point to a formula or 26 this or that or anything. I have no idea how this happened, really, other than just trying to stumble through and be faithful and work on our own sanctification and, and all that. And, and God's been very gracious. So you've got a little bit of a further view. I do. <clears throat> Many thoughts really come to mind. <clears throat> but I became a Christian at age 30, and so I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My wife at age 28. Role reversals in our houses. My dad was a military drill sergeant, retired. My wife's mother ran the show in her house, and so we merged our marriage with role reversals, and we thought that was the way it should be. So there was a lot of change that needed to occur as we grew biblically together for the two of us to become one. And our great desire was to honor the Lord in our marriage together. And we, let me just call it working at it, because there was just so many things that were lopsided. And for us to, to be aligned and to be in agreement as we were raising uh, our children, <clears throat> and um, many times we were not uh, in the beginning, and as it came forward, um, We're just so thankful for the many teachers that we received and conferences that we would go to that we would learn biblical principles like we're talking about here. But influence has more to do, I believe, as they leave home with the love that you have and the relationship that you have with guys and gals and the view that they have of your lives together because the world is so messed up. It's, it's so fragmented. It's going in so many different directions. And they see that right away. 
And so the idea of keeping communication with you, to have dialogue, to pray with them, to pray for them, it, it's just this constant family connect that's ongoing. It never stops. Now we have it in our grandchildren. It's such a joy to see the influence that our older grandchildren, our oldest is 25 and married a school teacher, her sister's 24, and she has a couple of cousins that they are influencing with biblical view of things not to do and things to do, so it reproduces as, it, as the fruit tree we referenced this passage, Proverbs 17, 6, as one of the rewards of uh, faithfulness and parenting in the home. Grandchildren are the crown of the aged, and the glory of children is their fathers. So just that long view, you know, that long view of, of what we're doing in, in our parenting in our homes is, is important to keep in mind. Any other questions? Scripture memory was important. Um, because when you meditate on the truth over and over, and then you see the application of that truth as it changes your life, we, we really desired our children to grasp that. And so at a very young age, we just did the discipline of Scripture memory together. And as a family, we would review it. We'd talk about it. And I guess it's the Deuteronomy 6-6 thought throughout and, oh my gosh, it's just amazing. Like, my youngest son kind of left the faith, and he's really just pell-mell back. And he just feels like he wasted so much of his life with things that he did not follow in the Lord as he's now looking, but he has this, he has this scripture in his heart. He has so many principles that he learned as he learned to meditate and to memorize and execute and all. And so when we when we talk, I mean, it just it, it just comes out as we spend time together talking about the Word. And now he really desires to lead his family. <laughs> um, and I think when they were younger, you know, we had, I think, just the different seasons of young kids that get into sports when they get older and it gets really tricky and you're going in different directions so I think we we've done all kinds of things uh, we've gone through um, books as a family you know on a Sunday night um, we've gone through like when our kids were both in school we would you know meet in the kitchen at 630 you know and Richard and I would take turns reading scripture or challenging them you know with a short devotional um, now that they're older, um, I went through a book with Emily this summer, and we would go through a couple chapters, and then we'd meet on the weekends to discuss it. And he and Brandon have kind of done the same thing. 
Yeah, I think, I think that we're, we're, just to be quite honest, um, not that we haven't been being honest up to this point. That's always a funny statement. Um, you know, I know some families who are very more disciplined and family devotions, and they have a set time and all that. And we've done that and tried that from time to time. Um, but it just hasn't been, and, and some of this could be a lack of good leadership. I mean, I'll just acknowledge, it might, this might be a part of me not being as good a leader as I need to be. I should have been, okay? So just, that's, that's definitely something that could be on the table. But I think that what we have tried to be faithful in is the life-on-life interaction and using biblical language and terminology to talk about the discipline and the instruction, you know, we're, in other words, you're infusing scripture into the the conversation about whatever the issue is. If it's a, even if it's a disciplinary matter, I mean, we adopt, we use stop grumbling and complaining. I mean, we use literally, you know, English translated Bible verse type words to describe the behavior, um, just to kind of as as we go to plant that information in their minds. The other thing that we had, I think, is ha, have had as maybe a, a benefit in terms of some of the more disciplined um, um, seed planting work is, you know, our kids have been here at the school, and so they have, they've been memorizing scripture as part of their curriculum, actually, and there's been, you know, they've been in Bible class for, for all these years, and so in terms of them just, you know, knowledge, not necessarily heart transformation, per se, but knowledge has been part of their actual school day all throughout the year, which, like it is with many of you who homeschool or whatever, um, so their exposure to that kind of information has been there, and it it gives us something that we can naturally draw on in in our interactions with them, too. But we've done a number of different things, um, and and being kind of, I think being um, really discerning about where your kids are, both season of life, but also um, temperamentally. and, and being being mindful of what and setting your expectations appropriately. I mean, I, I, my son is not going to be one scintilla as verbose and talkative as my daughter on anything. And so, trying to draw him out. I mean, sometimes I'm intentionally talking about sports games and that kind of thing just to get him verbalizing. And then I start asking. I mean, it's it's almost like a, you know, a. a a little thing gets tumped over and the stuff starts kind of flowing out and you can just start to like talk about it, start asking other questions and it starts flowing out more. But if I, sometimes if I would sit down with him and start talking about a chapter in a book, it could be very limited in terms of the conversation that might happen just because he's, he doesn't talk much about stuff, you know, that kind of thing. So I think that just the discernment of weaving in and out of that in terms of your practice is what I've tried to do imperfectly, but I've tried, so... Anything, Shane? Well, I mean, ours is very much the same. We've tried through the years different things, and none of it ever super consistently. I mean, I think for many years we, uh, you know, tried to meet a couple times a week and sing and pray and read a chapter of scripture as a family. But as as t-ball and all these other things come into play, it just gets more and more difficult. I've often told people that if I could if I could do it all over again, I would probably go all the way back to the beginning and establish like a family Bible reading time around the breakfast table. If I had anticipated what evenings look like as teenagers, I would have done that. I knew a family that did that. But, you know, it is what it is. So we, uh, you know, very early on we, we started just singing hymns uh, to begin with and then later on added 
Bible reading, but always found it challenging to be consistent in that. So we, you know, just uh, like a lot of what Richard said, just try to inject biblical uh, uh, worldview and biblical thinking into different conversations, certainly in times of discipline. Those will probably be key primary moments of instruction for us when we would bring the gospel to bear on on all of that situation of conflict. And, uh, you know, and Benjamin can tell you, we've tried a couple times to read books together and meet for coffee and done those things. But I think a lot of it goes back to what Dave said. It's just authenticity. Mm-hmm. It's just being genuine. If you come here on Sunday morning and your kids see that you're not being who you are the rest of the week, it's, it's, the game's over. Yeah. I mean, they're not going to want anything to do with your Christianity or your influence. But if they see authenticity the fact that you are who you are, both in public and in private. And especially, I love what Dave said, just working on your marriage and, and your own sanctification in front of them. I mean, that's, that's key. I mean, I think if your kids genuinely see what it is for two believers to love the Lord and to love one another in the Lord, and they see that on display every week, I mean, I just find it to be a powerful and attractive thing. It's going to be like a magnet for them, drawing them to the Lord, because they're going to they're going to desire that. They're going to desire what they see you having in your life together with your with your spouse. And so, I mean, I could talk about all, like you said, I could talk about all of our imperfections and all the things we didn't do very well. But back to your original point, um, thankfully, there aren't fifty things that you mm-hmm. have to do mm-hmm. to have. I mean, there's just there's just a few simple things. And one of them is just being genuine, being authentic in the Lord. Can I just address Please. <clears throat> so just one other thought, and that's humility. Mm-hmm. Being um, honest enough and transparent enough before your children to confess your wrong and ask for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. One year I was at a busy meeting. My wife came home in order to take our son off to college, and kind of halfway down, he just talked about how critical dad is. Just, he just criticizes a lot of things. I didn't even know that I was, you know, had that character going on or that conversation going on. And I got home and Judy says, you've got an issue with Mary and I think you need to deal with it. And I said, what is it? So she told me. And so I tried to go to bed that night and sleep and I mean, it was the worst night I've ever had. Called him the next morning. I need to come see you five hours away to college. And he said, what's that about? And I said, I just need to see you. And so I cried all the way down. I still cry. It's been a few years ago. Knocked on his door, just shocked him. And he said, what's going on? And I said, could we just have a Coke or a cup of coffee together? And so we went out under a shade tree. And I just said, I am so sorry. I just do not want to be this. As you can tell, it's just reverber. And he looked at me and he started crying, and we just kind of had a a time together. And then he started confessing, you know, just a lot of things in his life. I was confessing in my life. And the restitution of forgiveness and cleansing is just so critical. And so then on the other side, I mean, we we just embrace it. We've always had a great relationship. Yeah. 
real sense when we humble ourselves and do what God tells us to do. Mm, that's great. It's great testimony. Our uh, high school principal here likes to say that, uh, in particular, high schoolers he's speaking of, but they have very sensitive hypocrisy meters. They can tell when you're you're playing them. I mean, they they just really sensitive to it. So I think that 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 genuineness, even in even in confessing and repenting and all that, is just huge. It pays massive dividends. Any, any other questions? This is good. just realized through the years that um, whether I like it or not, my wife is a big influence spiritually on my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if I put a percentage on it, 80% maybe of the influence comes through her. Yeah. And uh, so it's just incredi- incredibly critical for me to be supportive, understanding, prayerful for her in the ministry that she has with our children. Mm-hmm. I would like to think that, you know, I'm the main the main gig here, but it's far from the truth. Yeah. Uh, it's just the realities of, of marriage and life that uh, that's the ministry primarily the Lord's entrusted to her. And, and they're going to come out of your home with her fingerprints mm-hmm. all over them, uh, more than yours. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Yes, sir. So what's the goal in raising kids? Is it to have kids that stay out of jail? <laughs> kids that give you grandkids? What's the goal? Behavior modification? Lord willing, it's kids that love the Lord and who want to live God-honoring lives. It's a bonus if you enjoy that relationship, but it's um, you wanted to live God-honoring lives as adults. I think it's certainly to be faithful to the Lord. I mean, to be able to look back and, and to say that you know, we did what the Lord had certainly commanded us to do. We lived the life that the Lord wanted us to live before them. We spoke to them you know, as we should have spoken to them about the gospel. We prayed for them as often as we That's the goal. I mean, we never hit that. But we want to be faithful. And, and we know in God's uh, common grace that so many times that does yield fruit. That's, I think that's the promises of Scripture. You know, it yields fruit in some way, shape, or fashion. But we ultimately know that we have to trust the Lord with their salvation. We have to trust that into His hands. And He has at different times, chosen not to save some kids. He's chosen to let some kids go down their pathways of rebellion. Um, and, you know, we, as as, uh, as parents, we've got to, I think, be able to trust that in the Lord's hands. Richard mentioned, I think, right out of the gate, you know, the goal is not just to keep your kids from embarrassing you. I mean, too many parents do that, and they want to just kind of manipulate those kids to look like the Christian they want them to be. But uh, we have to trust that into the Lord's hands and just focus on being faithful to all these things. And, and then, as Alicia was saying, I mean, the bonus, the fruit that you get uh, through that so many times is just such a blessing. And then when they marry, the joy is to see it reproduced in their homes. Isn't this our most valuable 
evangelism project? No question. No doubt. No question. Yeah, I was having some conversations this past week and how I'm just thinking about what Dave said. Um, a couple of things that he said. One talked about the importance of modeling. Um, and, I mean, you can read secular psychology or, you know, developmental um, physiology information on this and, and how children acquire, you know, information. They, they, they learn by seeing and then they mimic early on, right? That's, that's what happens. And um, the, 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 the way that God, I think, uses, oftentimes uses, the modeling of humility and repentance to not just demonstrate to our, to our children that, you know, we don't think we have it all together or that we don't think we have all the answers, but that we all need a Savior, that, that you're looking at someone who, apart from the grace of God, I am done for, and it's, it's an avenue for conveying both modeling and conveying and talking about the gospel, um, but doing it in such a way that's not, you know, um, lecture format or just let me just give you these verses of scripture so you know what the gospel is from scripture, but you're showing them that I, I'm, I'm a living example of someone who in front of you needs Christ. So I just, <clears throat> I think that that's a powerful, powerful um, privilege, opportunity, responsibility um, that we have as parents to, to model even that in, in our homes for our kids. And there's no way that that yields up any kind of needed authority. Um, typically grants more influence than, than that. So, All right. Well, I think that we probably ought to... Are you preaching this morning? Yeah, you might want to have a little breather here. <laughs>